Welcome to the Rock Church Audio Podcast. We are so glad that you've joined us today. Rock Church is located on Harrison Avenue between Mulford and Perryville Roads in Rockford, Illinois. Now let's join Pastor Jared with today's message. Let's look at uh, the Word of God this morning. We'll begin with Romans 12.2. I believe we have a slide, so if we do, let's go ahead and put it on there. Let me read that to you. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Romans 16, verses 24 and 25 Having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. So this morning, I'm going to talk to you um, about the importance of attitude. In fact, I'm going to kind of broaden it out a little bit. You know, I wrote this early in the week. And uh, then the week changed significantly, and I'll tell you, part of my weekend has been, Lord, you know, what, what, what needs to be said in an hour like this? And I think as we look at this, the initial focus was attitude, but we certainly can put underneath the umbrella of what we are about to talk about, um, our mindsets, uh, the, the thoughts that we dwell upon, and how those kind of um, uh, move us to action, and how we respond uh, to situations. But as we begin to prepare to do that, let's just ask for God's blessing upon his word. Lord God, we thank you that your word is life. We thank you that it is timeless. We thank you, Lord, that it is a lamp unto our feet and a light into our path. So, Lord God, I pray that uh, in these moments that we share as we look to your word, may you illuminate our steps. May you inform us May you equip us, may you strengthen us, and I pray, Lord, that each of us would leave here today confident, Lord, in who you are and the work that you are doing both in us and through us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As I was um, preparing to write this sermon, the thought went through my mind, I don't think I have ever heard a sermon on attitude. So in many respects, it was just kind of like a clean slate, <laughs> you know, and uh, that is a little bit refreshing, but um, as I began to dig into it, I was encouraged by how much the Word has to say about our attitude and, and how we respond to things and how we act and the witness uh, that we have in this life, and I just became very aware of the fact in writing this that in many respects, our attitude is an indicator of what is going to take place in the future. Because a good attitude opens doors, and an attitude that is not Christ-like closes doors. And in that way, we may sense a little bit of conviction in what we are about to talk about, but receive it from the Lord today, because the work that he is always doing in us is a work to form us and conform us into his image. So let's have ears to hear what the Lord would say. So let me just begin by defining uh, this word attitude, all right? I think that we have a, maybe a mental picture in our head of what it is, 
If you're a parent, you probably have a picture in your head of raising your children when you think of the word attitude. But um, the word itself means this. It's a settled way of thinking or feeling about someone or something that is typically reflected in a person's behavior. I think that's the part that we are uh, the most familiar with. That's probably the definition that comes to our mind when we think about this word. But there are some additional aspects to the definition that we perhaps don't think about. And that attitude is also a position of the body proper to or implying an action or mental state. So what does that mean? That means that you can't hide your attitude because your body language reveals it also. And that uh, the nonverbal cues and communications kind of have a way of uh, showing the world exactly those things that we've been holding on to and those opinions that we have uh, developed. And then here is one that probably very few of you in the room have ever thought about in relation to this word attitude. It's, it's not just uh, a conviction or a belief. It's not just body language, but attitude is also the orientation of an aircraft relative to its direction of flight. All right, and we're going to talk about that a little bit more in just a moment, but attitude as we think about it um, very much indicates what direction we are going. So in an airplane, uh, there's an attitude indicator, and it's a gauge that a pilot will fly by, and it indicates whether there's a nose-up attitude, a nose-level attitude, or a nose-down attitude. And those things are very important to know if you are a pilot who can't see where he's going. So this, this is true about attitude. Um, its importance cannot be overstated in a person's life. And um, what we just read in Romans chapter 2 reveals to us that as Christ works in us, He works to transform the way that we think. He works to transform the way that we respond. And that's an ongoing work in us that we must embrace because it very much either opens the door to what God wants to do in and through your life or closes it. In other words, you can interrupt the good things that God wants to do in and through you by virtue of how you allow Him to renew your mind and the attitudes that you adopt and embrace. So the importance of attitude cannot be overstated in a person's life. And I want us to not only recognize um, that, but I want you to recognize this morning that the work that God is always doing in His people is to transform them. Transformation is a work that God does always. So how, how does that process of transformation take place in relation to our attitude, how we view the world, the things that we think about, the way that we, we respond to the things around us. Well, Romans 12, 2 gives it to us. There is a renewing process that we have to recognize and, 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 and allow. And I want to just kind of pull three 
uh, words out of that Romans 12, 2 verse because they're essential to understanding it. And the first one is this. It's the, it's the, the word world. Okay? Um, do not be conformed to this world. And, 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 and I think that when we think about world, oftentimes we, we think about uh, the world in a natural sense. You know? Like uh, a week ago, um, uh, on that really nice Saturday that we had, uh, we threw the family in the car and uh, we drove down south of Oregon and we, we, uh, we, we hit some hiking trails because like 10 years ago in this uh, state preserve, uh, I found an old hunting cabin, an old log cabin off the beaten trail. And I just said, you know, I want to see if it's still standing. So we went and we hiked and we enjoyed the day and the weather and we enjoyed the natural world around us. It was beautiful. You know, it, it, you know how it is after you're cooped up for the wintertime and you just get that fresh air in your lungs again? It's invigorating, isn't it? Yeah. That's the natural world. That's kind of tent. That's how we think about the word world oftentimes. But that's not what Paul is referring to. He's referring to an age when he is using the, the, the word world here. He's, he's referring to a godless system that rules the world now and until the day Christ returns. In fact, I, I want you to understand this. The moment that you received Christ by faith as your Lord and Savior, there was a change that took place in your life in the sense that you now belong to him and you no longer belong to the world that stands in opposition to everything that Jesus wants to do. But as, 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 as we follow Christ and as we allow that, that work of, 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 of discipleship to take place within us, there is a recognition that I am moving away from old things and I am moving into new things, which means this, I begin to look more like the kingdom and less like the world God delivered me out of. Because it's corrupt and it stands in opposition to God, and now I am a part of a kingdom that has come because of Jesus. And we're told to not conform to that world, that system, any longer. This word conformed is the second one I want us to understand, and it, and it literally means schematic. Schematics are important, like if you're going to fix something or if you are going to replicate something, and in this case, it, it means to be identical to something else. You are no longer called to live according to the world. In other words, that schematic is to be crumpled up and thrown in the trash can because you now are called to be conformed to the kingdom. And practically thinking, uh, practically meaning what that is for us is this. Um, in our thinking, we no longer think like everyone else. But rather, we have minds that have been renewed we have a perspective and a vantage point that is different because it comes from Christ and His Word. And that renewing process is a part of what changes our, our attitude and how we respond to things around us. And that's the third world is transformation. It's metamorphosis. I think most of you probably know this. The picture is kind of like what happens when a caterpillar turns into a butterfly. It once was one thing, but that thing no longer exists and something much more beautiful has emerged. That is the work that Christ has done for us. And I've got a lot of handwritten notes on the margin here because I, 
was thinking about that, and as I you know, process the events of this week and the reality that we, that we find ourselves in, we have to ask ourselves the question, what does it mean to be the church? What does it mean to be a Christ follower in days like this? And this transformation that Paul is telling us about in Romans 12 too is something that must be expressed in hours like this. What is our response? This term that I've been using a lot this week with others, is faith and not fear. Faith and not fear. Let me tell on fear a little bit. It, uh, it always wants to turn your thoughts inward, and it always wants to anchor you in the moment. You know, because when you are only thinking about the thing that is right in front of you, anxiety builds up, concern builds up. All of the what-ifs begin to spin within us, and, and we, have to, to, we have to take the reality that we are going through right now, and we have to put it in a broader context. We have to apply greater truth to it in the sense that we are called to live by faith and not fear. Faith recognizes who holds us in the palm of His hand. And in this hour, we have the benefit of looking back upon all who have gone before us. And when we do that, we see a God who has been faithful in every age, in every generation, in every time. And we see that as the church has remained anchored in Him, the church has always been called to step up in moments of challenge and crises. It does not matter if it's a health pandemic. It doesn't matter if it's an economic crisis. It doesn't matter if it's some social injustice that exists. The church is called to be the voice and the hands and the feet of God in this hour because Jesus said, I'm calling you to do the things I did. We have to put this hour in that context. Faith recognizes who holds us, and because of that, we don't stop living. I think that's the thing that uh, just kind of befuddles me the most. Is you, 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 you can't put life on hold. Life carries on. An interesting observation yesterday. Um, in the morning, I woke up very ambitious. It's, uh, it looked like it might be a good day to cook meat with fire, okay? So I told Chris, let's get some stuff out of the freezer, let's thaw it out, I'm going to grill out for, for dinner. Um, and then the snow came. <laughs> and I thought, well, this can't last for long, but when it was still snowing at like 5 o'clock, I said, you know, I don't think I'm going to cook with fire. Uh, we'll do that after church tomorrow. So, you know, we had to make one of those quick uh, contingency plans, and, and, and our plan was we took the easy way out. Uh, we ordered a pizza. <laughs> and um, as I went to go get that pizza, I pulled into the um, parking lot here, this little strip mall just uh, south of Menards where Rosati's is, and as I pulled in, I made a very interesting observation. Uh, the only parking lot that was full was the parking lot for the bar. And I thought to myself, you know what? The people who don't know Christ, 
don't stop living, and they're doing what they know to do. And uh, I thank the Lord in that moment that we were going to be here together this morning. Because I thought, you know what? If people who don't know Christ are going to run to their things, what kind of a message do we send if the church doesn't run to the arms of its Savior? So we can't stop living. Now, how we live might have to change at times. We have to recognize that. You know, Tuesday night, I'm asking for your prayers because our leadership is going to be talking about every contingency plan that we can think of. Like, there, there may be an hour, and if it's not this hour, it might be down the road where we can't do this for whatever reason. It might not be a pandemic. It might be an earthquake. You know, we can't stop living. We have to continue to be a light. And we need God's wisdom in knowing how to do that. So it's faith and not fear. But I want us to recognize today that some of what is going on is that foundations are being tested. You know, what we are building our lives on is being tested. And and, and I would just ask you that, that personally in your quiet time with the Lord... That, that, that you would invite him to reveal where your foundations are weak. Uh, anybody tried to go buy some toilet paper? I mean, I'm not discrediting the value of having toilet paper. Let me just say that, okay? I wish I had a truckload to give away right now, honestly, to tell you the truth. Um... But the way that we respond to, you know, things being a little bit less convenient really shows how we're building our lives and what we're building our lives around. Um, I haven't had a bad experience. Thursday after I was done in the office, I ran over, I still call it Highlander because I'm, I just have a hard time making the shift, right? But I guess it's Schnooks over here by the mall and they, they still had some, so I, you know, just bought a case and took it home and said, thank you, Lord. But you want to know what happened at midnight? And then this illustrates it, okay? This schnooks had a truckload of toilet paper coming at midnight and some employees had told some people. There were people there at midnight waiting for the truck and one person went as far as to drive their SUV around to the loading dock and was forcibly taking things off of the truck and putting it in their SUV to the degree that the cops had to be called. So the way that you respond, I'm making this point, the way that you respond reveals what you are building your life upon. Some trust in chariots, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. I want your thoughts to move on quickly, okay? (laughs) so you know foundations are being tested and 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 i i want to say to you today that you know if if you have been like afraid anxious concerned you know don't feel condemnation over that but rather just use this as a moment to kind of take your pulse 
because I don't believe that things are going to get better. I just think that we live in a day and an hour where these kinds of things are going to happen more regular. Somebody showed me uh, an article that said, look what happens every four years when there's a presidential election. You know, there's always a pandemic, there's always a crisis, you know, and it's like, okay, whatever. Godless system, do your thing. We trust in the name of our Lord. So foundations are, 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 are tested in, in, in times like this, and our responses are important. I've mentioned this already, but I, I feel like I need to say it again. The church, historically, has always stood up in moments like this. And we need to be different. We need to be a source of peace, a source of hope, a source of faith a voice that tells our community and the world that there is another place to put your trust that is eternal and not limited to this life. I told us two weeks ago during communion that that we've not been given a spirit of fear or timidity. That of love and a sound mind. And, and, And we have to We have to pray for that work to be done in us. In Europe, during the bubonic plague, when when, when incredible numbers of people were dying and there was no way of knowing how to respond to it, the church was the body that moved into villages that had been abandoned with sick people. That's our heritage. And when we kind of see what's going on right now, I wonder if we would rise to the occasion to the same level if we were called upon to do the same thing. I say, God, help us. But our response matters. Historically, we care for the sick. We feed the hungry. We speak for the oppressed. And this conviction fills my heart deeply. This is our hour. And perhaps it's the first of many. So love your neighbor and do what Jesus did. Practically, what does that look like for us? You know, a lot of, all of our students now have the next two weeks off. And maybe that two weeks shouldn't be filled with video games. Maybe there should be cards written and pictures drawn for those who can't be visited. You know, one of the things that breaks my heart over this is that there is no longer visitation into nursing homes. And the generation that sits there alone in isolation right now is a generation that fought World War II and went through the Depression and won the Cold War and, 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 and allowed us to inherit a world that was better than what they inherited. And now they're alone. So I say to our students and I say to all of us, you know, maybe there's something very practical and not all that time-consuming that we can do you know, to flood these nursing homes with things that will just brighten a day. You might be hearing more about that. Um, check on a neighbor. You have 
a neighbor with a health need, a neighbor with no family, uh, check on a neighbor. Share some toilet paper. (laughs) I think that small things mean a lot in hours like this. But most of all, don't be focused on death, but focused on how you have been called to live and share that with others. And I want to tell you that's not possible if our attitude or our thinking or our hearts are in the wrong place. You're in trouble because there's no time up on the back screen. And uh, there's a reflection on the clock. I can't even read it. So I want to give you a couple of things quickly here, okay? Because maybe as we say this, you're saying um, the, uh, there's some things that need to shift in my life. Some things that I need to, to, to become stronger in. Some responses that I know I can improve. It's that transforming, renewing that the Lord does in us. And, and I want to help you in that journey by reminding you that you choose your attitude. You choose what you think about. You choose how you respond. It's not caused by other people or circumstances. I want to share with you the story of Viktor Frankl. I'd never heard of this gentleman before. I don't know much about him. But what I do know is this. In 1942, Viktor and his wife, his parents and his siblings were arrested by the Nazis. His father died within six months, and over the course of three years, he was moved to four concentration camps, finally ending up in Auschwitz, where his mother was killed and his brother died. And by the time it was all over, only he and his sister had survived the ordeal. And I want you to listen to his words. I chose to suffer with dignity, and no matter what they did, I determined to not hate a single one of them. They had defeated him physically, but they could not defeat him spiritually. He chose an attitude that said, I am not going to embrace my first impulse, but rather I am going to live for a greater example. We have a choice. And... He became a doctor and an author. He had a family. He died in 1997. You choose your attitude. And your attitude and your thinking and your responses, they either open doors or they close doors. I want you to think about Joshua and Caleb for a minute. Numbers chapter 13 and 14, 12 spies sent into the land, a land that God had promised them. Ten of them come back with the same attitude. We can't do it. And their report frightened the people. And if we're not careful, we can adopt the attitude around us. We can adopt the sentiment around us. I want to tell you, if you're listening to the media right now more than you're in the Scripture, you are at risk of of adopting something that God does not want to fill your heart. Rather, Joshua and Caleb, they spoke up, they said, This was a land that God has promised us, and he will deliver it into our hands. We choose our attitude. 
See, there's a deception that is rampant, and it's this. If my circumstances were different, I would have a better attitude. You hear it all the time. That, that the, the way I think, the way I respond, and what I do is because of what other people have done around me. We read about Paul and Silas in Acts chapter 16. They go to Philippi to preach the gospel. They're beaten, they're thrown in prison, and at midnight, Paul and Silas are having a worship service, singing and praising God. You see, here is one of the things that sets God's people apart. We have resources that those who are not in Christ do not have. And because of that, we can overcome what goes on around us, and we can choose an attitude that is God-honoring. I'm going to give you one point that I'm not going to expound very deeply, but it's just this. Happiness and joy are a chosen attitude, not a state of being. Um, We're given happiness and joy as we follow the Lord, and as we express gratitude for what he has done, and that is where it flows from. And I was reminded that this week, and here's why I put it in here. Miss Virginia. You know, if you know Virginia's story, you know that she had very challenging seasons in her life. And uh, Jesus came and changed it all. And because of that, every time you greeted her, what did she say? I'm too blessed to be stressed. It's a chosen attitude. She decided to choose joy and to be a blessing to others. And because of that, our sister who's gone on to glory inspires us to do the same. Happiness cannot be traveled to, owned, earned, worn, or consumed. But rather, happiness and joy are a spiritual experience of living every moment of our lives grateful to God for what he has done and brought us through. But the devil will tell you, you have to find happiness and joy in other things. When we know as God's people, they are only found in him. So let me give you one more point. God rewards a good attitude and disciplines bad attitudes. Talk about leaving on a, on a high point, huh? But it's true. And let me just say this. By the way, so do good parents. Let me give you a little bit of parental advice. Uh, don't wait until something becomes a behavior. Discipline it when it's an attitude. You will save yourself a lot of grief. A lot of grief. But God loves us, and because he loves us, he, he disciplines us. He shepherds us. He, he leads us down the path of righteousness. Write down these two scriptures, James 4, 6 through 10. It begins this way. God resists the proud. Pride is an attitude. It puts itself above God, but God demonstrates his love in that he fights for us when we are going the wrong way. puts up roadblocks. He speaks to us. He brings another voice into our lives because he wants us to not go the wrong way, but to go the right way. And by the way, people who pat you on the back while you are on your way to destruction or making bad decisions don't love you. They don't love you. 
They're not voices to be trusted. But God fights for us. And when we humble ourselves, he showers his grace upon us. And humility is not, hum- or humility is not humiliation. You know, I kind of I hear these connotations sometimes when, when I hear people talking about being humble before God. It's, it's as though it's humiliating. It's not. Those two things are at distant ends of the, the, the spectrum from one another. God does not condemn us or humiliate us, but rather He loves us and He draws us closer to Himself. And, and, and when we humble ourselves, we shouldn't see ourselves as being humiliated in God's eyes, but rather we should see ourselves as God sees us. He loves us. He cares for us. He fights for us. He's given us every resource that we need for life and godliness. And those things are made available to us when we humble ourselves. And when we do that, verse 10 of James 4 says, He lifts us up. Sometimes God disciplines us when we're going the wrong way. And sometimes all God is waiting for is an attitude change in our lives so that he can lift us up. A a longer text I want you to write down that I won't go into much here is Hebrews 12, verses 7 through 13. In short, it says God is our Father. He disciplines us, but he does it for our good. And the word picture is this, feeble knees and hands that hang down. And I want to ask you what your response to God is. When you begin to to feel perhaps the Lord correcting you or disciplining you, do you respond with hands that hang down and feeble knees? And what I mean by that is this. (laughs) Have you seen that response before? Uh, We don't know exactly who the writer of Hebrews was, but maybe he should have put in there the eye roll. Because those things oftentimes go hand in hand, right? And, 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 and a part of seeing children mature and become adults is seeing the weak knees and the hands that hang down and the eye roll worked out of their life, right? As they grow and they mature and, 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 and they begin to understand things and, and confidence grows, you know, those things are phased out, or at least they should be. Because, you know, if you're on the job and an employer asks you to do something and you go, oh, you know, you're not going to have that job for very long. And, 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 and kind of the predominant wind in our society today is to go, oh. I've told my girls this as they got to employment age. Uh, you have been positioned to thrive. Because if you make eye contact during your interview, if you answer questions well, if you show up to work and do your job, you are going to have the doors of opportunity opened in your life. And it's true. And every one of them have advanced and you know, been given uh, responsibility. And, and I feel like God just kind of says the same thing to us. He wants us to rise above that place of wrong attitude and feeble knees and hands that 
hang down. He, he wants us to think. He does not want us to think and to act like everybody else. He wants us to be like him. But a good attitude precedes and predicts success, favor, and promotion, but a bad one precedes and predicts failure, disfavor, and demotion. So how do we stay on track? Do you have a slide back there, Matt, Matthew? I think of, a, of, an alt, of, a, of an attitude indicator. I hope you do. Pastor Marty said it was there. There you go. Oh, is there another one? There you go. All right. Why is that on the screen? That is called an attitude indicator. And... Um, it's an instrument that's on every airplane. This is kind of new to me, so I'm kind of like nerded out on this. I'm like, ooh, <laughs> like I, I didn't know this. This is kind of interesting. But um, an attitude indicator is what a pilot flies by when they can't see, when they need to fly with instruments. And it, and it keeps the pilot from flying by feeling and crashing the plane. In fact, that's a very real possibility. Uh, you may remember years ago, it's probably been a decade or more, when uh, John F. Kennedy Jr. crashed his plane into the ocean on his way to a wedding, I believe it was. Um, he was not uh, certified to fly by instrument. He was flying at night over the ocean. He became disoriented, and he went by feeling, and he flew right into the ocean and crashed the plane, and it killed everybody on the flight. So a pilot that is instrument certified, which hopefully is everybody, <laughs> um, flies by instrument, and this instrument is an attitude indicator that um, keeps them flying true. Now on this one, you've got kind of that yellow arrow and two little yellow lines, and um, that is uh, different than what my notes was because I was looking at a different one, but um, it's... Uh, is false horizon. So that's the horizon there. And, uh, and then the white dot at the top tells um, the attitude of the plane. Is that right, Glenn? That white one up there? Yep, thumbs up from the pilot. All right. And uh, <laughs> the white dot tells uh, the attitude of the plane. And it's, uh, it tells you if it's nose up, gaining elevation, if it's uh, nose level, uh, cruising, or nose down, uh, crashing. And going down doesn't always mean crashing, but if you're supposed to be level and you're going down, that's a bad thing. So when experiencing an unu- what's called an unusual attitude, and that's a, that's a training term, uh, you have to right the plane or you will crash. And in those moments, you can't trust in what you see around you or in what you feel. But the pilot has to fly by that instrument. To fly true. And that is a lot like life. Uh, Trusting emotion, trusting in only the things that you can see, can cause you to adopt a wrong attitude. Experience vertigo, become disoriented. And to crash while thinking, you know where you are going. 
You think you're level when in reality your nose is down. There's a a term I, I stumbled upon that experienced pilots that know how to fly by instruments uh, can experience, and it's called the leans. Is this true, Glenn? The leans? It's uh, when one wing dips and there's a spiraling down process as the plane goes in circles, all while the pilot thinks he's flying in a straight line, which can lead to a crash. So just like a pilot piloting a plane, the attitude that we adopt as believers will either have us in that nose up, nose level, or nose down trajectory. Weeks like this, I think, serve as somewhat of an indicator of what kind of attitude we have adopted. I'm going to circle the wagons and protect my own. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fill up my SUV with everything that I need in a way that is not proper. So it begs the question for us, how do we keep our attitude right and true and flying straight and in the right direction? What is our attitude indicator spiritually? And the gauge that God has given us is this. It's His Word. It's trusting in His Word. It's looking to His Word. It's incorporating His Word. And when we do that, we don't fly by feelings or by sight. But rather, the Lord kind of gives us these little course corrections. He quietly speaks to us and just says, you got a wing dipped a little bit. It's time to level out. You think you're flying right side up when in reality you are upside down. But I love you and I'm going to fight for you. And I'm going to come to your aid so that you, you can start to move in the right direction. So hang on to the scriptures. We choose our attitudes. God rewards and disciplines us for our own good. And my call to all of us, especially this week and in the weeks to come, is shine. Shine brightly. This is our hour. And it may be the first of many to come. Let's be the church. I've been signing off on emails kind of this way this week because it really is in the midst of all this what has consumed my heart. May many find Jesus in the middle of the storm. I believe God is at work. I believe the kingdom is on the move. And I believe God wants to use all of us to that end. So why don't you stand with me and we'll close in prayer. Lord, I thank you that you love us. 
I thank you that you guide us. And I thank you that you are the source of our strength. You're the source of our hope. You're the one in whom we trust. And Lord, I, I, I just pray today that you would stir us up to good works. <laughs> We're created for good works in Christ. I pray, Lord, that uh, our voice would be something that captures the ear of those around us. I pray, Lord God, that uh, you would just fill us up in this moment and in many more moments to come that that uh, anxiety and fear and other things that would want to grab hold of us, Lord, would not be given access, but rather may they be cast down. So, Lord, I pray for each and every one of us, Lord, whatever way we need you, lead us. Guide our steps. May we hear your voice. And I thank you for it. I just ask a question. You might be here today and maybe you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior. And all that, that we have talked about this morning is only possible through Jesus. If you'd say, you know what, I, 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 I want to know him. Today is the day I want to make him my Lord and my Savior. I'd like to just kind of know that that's the place where your heart is at. And you can, you can show me that by just raising a hand. And what we'll do is, okay, I see that hand. Thank you. We're going to pray a prayer together in just a moment that just says, you know, Lord, I belong to you. Anyone else that wants to just take that step today? You might be coming back to a, a, a faith decision that you walked away from. You might be coming to know Christ for the first time. Anyone else today saying, today is the day. I'll make Jesus my Lord and my Savior. All right, let's, let's repeat this prayer line by line together as we just affirm who we belong to and the faith that we have put in him. Oh God, I'm a sinner, but I'm willing to turn from my sin. But I need your help. I receive Christ into my heart by faith. I want him to be Lord of my life from this moment on. In Jesus' name, amen. If you made that decision today, we'd love to just talk with you. We have a Bible we'd like to give you and some other helpful things and just kind of help you take those first steps in that journey. And Lord, I, I, I pray now as we go, may we go in your grace and your peace. May you watch over us and keep us. May you bring us back again safely very soon. In Jesus' name, amen. If you came wanting a personal prayer for anything, myself and others will be up here at the front. We'd love to pray with you. If not, uh, go in the grace of God. We look forward to seeing you soon. Thank you for joining us today on our podcast. Our hope is that this has been a blessing in your life. Until such a time as we are able to gather again as a physical church, 
We pray that you will discover life in Christ. God bless you.